This is a Saddleback Church podcast. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. You made the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. The book of Psalms is perhaps one of the most read from and turned to places in the Bible, and for good reason. It is a wonderful well of the human experience, capturing reality and giving voice to the emotional ebb and flow that comes from being alive, all the while pointing so beautifully back to God. My guest today, Dr. Ian Valancourt, has a new book out called Treasuring the Psalms, How to Read the Psalms that Shape the Soul of the Church. Now, this book is a deep dive into the book of Psalms, looking at it from a Holy Spirit perspective, a Christ perspective, and how Christians can live out truths from this rich book. Dr. Valancourt is Associate Professor of Old Testament and Hebrew at Heritage Theological Seminary. Now, my name is Jason Wheeland, and this is Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast, part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Now, my conversation with Dr. Ian Valancourt. Dr. Ian Valancourt, thank you so much for joining me today. Appreciate your time. Oh, it's great to be here. <laughs> um, so I'm excited to talk about this new book, Treasuring the Psalms. So first, I wanted to kind of take a, a, a big picture question first. What what drew you to writing a book about Psalms specifically? And I'm just curious in that in your time with this project, how did you maybe leave your research differently than how you started? Yeah, well, this book actually originated, this is my second book on the Psalms. My first one was my PhD dissertation. And and so, I, you know, doing the PhD, um, basically more broadly, why, why did I do a PhD at all was um, God's word is so precious. And, and I love teaching God's word. I love equipping God's people um, to be able to read his word on their own. That's kind of my big burden. I want... Mm. My, my, anything I do, whether it's teaching, preaching, writing, I want, uh, God's just given me a passion to help people, give them a little bit of a framework so then they, they can go away on their own and not be dependent on me but or others, but just read the Bible and see wonderful things in God's word and see Christ and be fed and grow like I have. Yeah. So I, I love God's word and I love equipping people. And when I was doing the PhD, I, you have to pick a, a dissertation <laughs> topic and um I just figured if I'm going to spend a couple years doing the most in-depth research, maybe I'll do in my entire life. <laughs> I want to love the thing. Mm. And I love the book of Psalms. I just, I love, um, it, it's ministry. We'll, we'll talk about the ins and outs of the yeah, Psalms. Sure. So I won't go on there, but it's just ministered to me so much. Mm. And I also love, um, how the way the old Testament points to Christ and finds its fulfillment in Christ and how, 
you know, Jesus, Jesus talks about in John 5 39, that the old Testament bears witness about him. Mm. And so it's almost like as we're reading the old Testament, we should have a springboard to see Jesus and kind of feast on aspects of the gospel. And so that all kind of went into the original stuff. But as I was researching the dissertation, which is, you know, by necessity, it's, it's super academic and, um, all that, but, um, as I was researching the dissertation, I was reading all that I could get my hands on and saying, oh, I wish I found a, a good introduction to the Psalms that said this or mm-hmm. said that, or why can't I find? And it didn't even dawn on me that, oh, I'm doing a PhD. Like I'm <laughs> being equipped to write a book. And it didn't even dawn on me until yeah. like way too late. <laughs> like I should have. <laughs> but, um, as I was later teaching, um, a professor now and, getting to interact with my students around God's word, just kind of, oh, this this book was kind of percolating in the back of my mind, simmering in the back burner. And then COVID happened. And all of a sudden I got to be home all the time. And I said, well, I can fit my professor stuff into the afternoons and I'm going to write a book in the mornings. Oh, cool. And that's how this book was born. So anyway, yeah, that's a long answer, but short question, Jason. No, no that's great. <laughs> that's, that's helpful. Is there, is, is there, an element, so so you had done your doctoral research around Psalms and, and working, I think it was specifically, I saw Psalm 118 and Psalm 130, is that right? Or 110 and 118. Sorry, yes, that, that, that's what it was, 110 and 118. So as you, as you were approaching then this book, which is looking at Psalms as a whole, is there something different that kind of caught your attention that you're like, hey, you know, I... I this, is, this is hitting me in a different way than maybe it had even before even before um well anytime you got to write it out and it, it clarifies thinking eh mm. and so when i was uh, and in the book and maybe we'll talk about the the first cluster of five chapters is about the the, the fact that the psalms the, their individual compositions written by individual poets written under the inspiration of the holy spirit and they're given to the church for our good and their mm-hmm. songs and prayers and or, or whatever. Um, but they've also been under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit intentionally shaped into a book and you can see flow and progression of thought. Mm. And so one of the chapters, I think it's chapter four, where I, where I chart out the broad narrative of, of Psalms 1 to 150, yeah. um, just the exercise like, yes, doing that PhD work my focus was on two Psalms at the end. So I read a lot of broad stuff and I was thinking and, but I was focused there, but just the exercise of writing out six or 8,000 words and just mm-hmm. saying, okay, here's the flow of the book. Um, uh, that would, that just hit me in a new way. Yeah. I just, I really, yeah. it made my heart sing as I'm <laughs> writing. I'm like, I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to share this with people. Well, I think that's a wonderful, uh, reminder for people because a lot of people take psalms individually as they think of psalm you know psalm 23 or psalm 139 or or whatever is and and you and you take that psalm by itself in its isolation but when you look at it as the whole picture of 150 chapters that create in it it can give you a new sense of or a new view of what it is that these poets that these authors are telling you and that was 
that was divinely inspired the entire time that is God saying, yeah. this is this collection that I want you to have. Not just, yeah. you know, it, it works individually. That's great. But taken together, it can give a whole different meaning too. whole big picture. Amen. Amen. And there's so much we could say about that, but, uh, <laughs> I, I, the, the Psalms take us from one to another. Yeah. And John Calvin called them an, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Mm. There isn't an emotion, high, low, joy, sorrow, um, complacency. Like there isn't an emotion that isn't covered in the book of Psalms, according to Calvin. And I think that's just a beautiful way of putting it. And, and so whatever's going on in life is if we just start and just read a chunk of the Psalms and read a bunch together, there's, there's going to be something that resonates with whatever situation we're in. And we're kind of given some words to sing or pray to God um, in our own personal worship as we're reading. I, I just think it's wonderful. I love it. That's, I, wanted to, I wanted to mention that at the very beginning of the book, you make the point to identify two key words, and you identify Yahweh and you identify Hesed. Now, again, you're a professor of Hebrew, so your pronunciation probably better than mine. But what is important about identifying these words as it relates to Psalms? Well, Yahweh is the personal covenant name of God. It was used by um, the, like the people in Genesis. Mm-hmm. Like you see, you see um, in Genesis 15, I think it's 15, um, Yahweh is speaking to Abraham. I am Yahweh. Walk before me and be blameless. And you see Abraham saying, oh, Yahweh. So you, you see that name being used in Genesis. Um, but in, Gen- in Exodus 3 and Exodus 6, um, really the meaning and significance of that name Yahweh is really brought to the fore and explained. And it's, it's as though, okay, this, na- this is the covenant name for God in the Old Testament. And uh, our English translators have alerted us when that name is being used by by spelling it capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord. Mm-hmm. And that that's an alert that, that that alerts us as English readers that actually maybe not even the best way because that's a title and it's yeah. the name Yahweh, which is personal. But that alerts us that that's what's being used there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, the, the sense is that we couldn't understand the meaning and significance of the name Yahweh until God's people had experienced redemption, the ultimate display of redemption in the entire Old Testament, the exodus from Egypt, being purchased out of slavery mm-hmm. to be God's special people. And that's how you know who Yahweh is. And I just, wow, that's just incredible. And then when we get to the book of Psalms, I think it's like 694 times in 150 Psalms, the name Yahweh is used. Mm. And so this book that's, that's meant to be the prayer book, the song book of God's people, um, 694 ish times. I'm not a math guy. <laughs> you do some math. <laughs> that's like four and a half times a yeah. Psalm or something, um, or more, um, is Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. And it's, it's teaching us as God's people, just like Jesus says, uh, you know, here's how to pray our father. And that's a term of intimate address. Mm-hmm. Well, we have that in the old Testament too, in the Psalms that um, God's people were taught to, to, to address him by his personal covenant name. And that's the name that reminds them that I have brought you 
out of slavery. I've created you as a special people, as my very own. And here's how to address me as Yahweh. That, that, that's what that name is bound up in. Yeah. And I, I just think that's just beautiful. So that's why Yahweh. Yeah. Um, and you that the it's chesed. You got it's a guttural. Yeah. It's a hate. <laughs> um, and but chesed in the Old Testament is, is um, I've heard Bruce Waltke describe it as um like the ESV translates it steadfast love. And uh, that's a good translation in the sense that um, chesed is, it's it's God's immovable, sure, absolute, tender affection mm-hmm. for his people. So it's that steadfastness and that affection, that steadfast love. Mm. Um, it, both those sides, both those elements are being used. And, and the word chesed in the Old Testament um, I don't know offhand. Is it 187 times? And but a huge concentration of them is in the Book of Psalms, mm. disproportionate to other books of the Bible. So in a sense, I picked those two words because yeah. of those, you know, how high frequency and how important they are in the Psalms. It's a little bit subjective. There's other good words in the Psalms, but those kind of rose to the surface as just beautiful for me. That, um, yeah. Well, I think it helps to paint a picture. If a person is is opening up Psalms and they have these two thoughts in mind, they have they have the the a given name of God, the given name of the Lord, and all that that means um, through this covenant relationship, th- through this calling back, through this um, ransoming or purchasing, you know, of us in that relationship, and then we have. This idea of steadfast love, this this joy, this 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 emotional element in it, you tie those together, and if you read Psalms through that lens, I think it paints it just it, it kind of. I was gonna say it paints a beautiful picture, but I've said that before. It opens up a whole new door, I think, to Psalms to see it through this way, because oftentimes I think we see Psalms um, in terms of how I'm feeling at any given time. Yes, David, I feel that. Yeah. I have felt that. And But this is encouraging us to look um, through through a, a different lens at the Psalms too, which is, which is you know, I think it, it can be a really uh, impactful exercise. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to... I wanted to dive then a little bit more into the book. You, you've divided this new book into three main sections, and I really want to focus in on sections uh, two and three a little bit more. And I, I wanted to start actually with the third section, <laughs> which is on the personal application of the Psalms. Because I think, you know, as, as I mentioned, a lot of people know, I think, that they can turn to the Psalms and probably get words to their feelings. You know, seeing you open up almost any Psalm and you can see, oh, that's, you know, I, I have felt that or I'm feeling that right now or I, I'm calling out in Lament yeah. 2 right now. And so, you know, people um, understand it that way. But I was wondering if you could then just, you know, talk a little bit more about what it means to have application out of these psalms of desperation of deliverance of and of exaltation yeah well the uh, just really briefly when we think about gospel application when we're moving from the psalms to christ and that's part two of the book we're we're reminding ourselves that david is more than just like us he was the king over israel 
he was in, yes, in covenant relationship with Yahweh and a person just like me, but he's more than just like me, right? He's the covenant head. Mm-hmm. He was the recipient of the covenant with Yahweh in Second Samuel 7. And, and so more than just being like me, David points me to Jesus. He, he's like the shadow and Jesus is the substance, right? Like mm-hmm. Jesus is called the son of David in the New Testament and the ultimate David to come. And, and so... Um, when I'm reading the Psalms and I and I discover, let's say, weeping David, yeah, I meant to kind of point, look forward in God's work in history and see weeping Jesus and say he's the ultimate weeping one, and he's weeping because he was going to the cross for my sins, and and so there's that gospel application, but there's also a sense in which, and it's also. It's also true to remember that David is in many ways just like us. Yeah. And um, so when I read a psalm of weeping David, um, I also can appropriate the words of his psalm in my own night of weeping. And so weeping David and the weeping Christian. And so the psalms themselves are both and. They point us to Jesus, but they're also meant to be um, used by me and I'm just picking up on the weeping part, the yeah. Psalms of um, desperation, I call them, or lament Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, those are especially precious because how often is it when, like, I'm not talking broken down minivan uh, or, you know, I didn't get the job I was hoping for and yeah. climbing up the corporate ladder. I'm talking about at the hospital bed or devastating health diagnosis or massive financial trouble. Like, in those times of absolute desperation that we go through in this fallen world that we live in, um, what a gift that like a third of the Psalms, about 50 out of 150 Mm. are Psalms that are called lament Psalms or uh, weeping Psalms or desperation Psalms or however you want to call them, because those Psalms can give us the words to express when we don't even know what to pray. Yeah. And they also lead us um, to faith, like over and over again, those Psalms kind of lead us, like they they help us to cry out honestly to God, like this is how I'm really doing. Mm-hmm. Lord, where are you? You know, I'm a polite Canadian, right? Canadians, <laughs> we say everything. And I, I remember, you know, in my own personal devotional time a number of years ago, I just would read a line of a psalm and then restate it in my own words back to God. And I'd read a line like, um, Lord, why do you stand far off? And, and my 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 uh, summary was, God, I it sometimes feels like you're far <laughs> off, but I know you're not. And I was just like this Canadian prayer, you know. And But the psalms tell us, don't do that. And God knows our hearts. So tell him what's going on in our hearts and cry out. But then the psalm takes us by the hand and says, and here's who God is for you in your night of weeping. And and it just leads us to reflect not just generally on the character of God, but on the character of God as it applies to someone who's in this horrible time of, of desperation, of weeping. And it says, but you, O God, are and and it just builds our faith. And then it antici- it leads us to anticipate, um, you know, we may lose our lives, but God will deliver us ultimately. We're, we're his forever if we're in Christ. So it's just this wonderful. So that's just kind of one kind of psalm. But 
Um, if we're in a night of weeping or if we're in a time where we've experienced a great deliverance from God and, you know, we were in a night of weeping and we we now see that God has taken us out of that and God's been gracious to us. Mm. He's been faithful. Um, or we're just a time where we're, wanna, we're reflecting on the character of God and exalting him. Um, the Psalms are the actual words we can and should employ in our own songs and in our own prayers, whether it's personal in our own quiet time uh, or in um, in corporate worship with uh, with other Christians. Well, and I, I love too that it gives us the freedom to be able to have these big emotions. I think sometimes a Christian is not just from Canada, <laughs> but often feel like they need to, you know, have some sort of like uber reverence that doesn't, get any go too far on the emotional spectrum there's this like uh this feeling that stoicism is kind of the way that we must do is everything has to be met with well well god knows or well god is good which is all true but it's you know it's god he understands the human condition he understands your you know highest and lowest emotions and he, he more than anything, wants you to be honest with him who already knows how you're feeling to be able yeah. to express that. And, and, that, and that's what we see in the Psalms is we can see all these questions of where are you? Why aren't you doing this? What, you know, and, and just this letting and go. Trouble. Yeah. And wow, I can't believe he said that. <laughs> and but yeah, definitely. It's, it's just wonderful, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful invitation to not feel like you need to stuff things down or, or to push things aside, but instead to have these emotions and, and knowing that some people are just made more emotional than others. Some people have heightened, more heightened emotions than others. And so for people who may find themselves in that place and maybe they've wondered, geez, I, I'm such an emotional person. Well, guess what? So was David. <laughs> and you can yeah. see that. Right. What's wrong with me? I I happen to be one of those more emotional people than some people. Yeah, and um, there's nothing wrong with me. God made me intentionally like this. Yeah, and I, I bring strengths that my less emotional friends don't have, and they bring strengths that I don't have, and that's the wonderful thing about um, you know Christians teaming up together, right? We um, we we can pool our strengths and serve Jesus, and um, but yeah, I, I just love the way the Psalms, um, the Psalms do that. Well, and it fits so beautifully into the whole the whole construction of the Old Testament because you you know for for most a lot of people, I would imagine, and people I've talked with tend to you know maybe they avoid most of the Old Testament. Maybe they read Genesis, they get into Exodus, and then they kind of skip the history books, the prophets, eh, really not my thing. And they just kind of go straight into the New Testament. But right there in the heart of it, right there in the center of your Bible is this beautiful book of poetry, of emotion, of thoughts and prayers. And it's just, it, it's such a nice anchor right there in the middle. Yeah. I've already quoted the the Calvin, the, yeah, yeah. the anatomy parts of the soul, but the amazing thing, Luther, Martin Luther mm -hmm. called the Psalms a little Bible. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and because he said, okay, these are songs, prayers, whatever, but they are so deeply theological that there isn't a part of the Bible that's not covered in the Psalms. Mm. 
really helps us as as we think about church worship, both those anatomy of the, all the parts of the soul and little Bible kind of help us because Walter, uh, you know, the one author um, says that if all we ever do in our public prayers in a worship service or in our the, the songs we sing or in our in our demeanor sure. if all we ever do is kind of the cleaned up neat and tidy happy clappy then what we're communicating to people in our churches is that god can only be approached when life is good mm. but if but if in our you know post 9-11 i hope our churches weren't saying, well, praise the Lord and, you know, just get on with like happy clappy um, victory in Jesus. I hope they're saying, how long, oh Lord, how did this happen? You know, like uh, there are seasons and times in a fallen world where dot, 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 right. Or pastor's wife is diagnosed with cancer, or you can think of a million situations. And um, it is, it's important, I think, for worship leaders to write songs that, aren't happy yeah <laughs> they, they help us like uh matt um matt papa and uh, matt boswell wrote lord from sorrows deep i call mm. that just a beautiful song and for corporate worship that you know when we're singing on sunday some of us aren't feeling that but some of us are yeah incorporating that into uh, songs like that or that one or um you know, blessed be your name, Matt Redman. Yeah. You know, when I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. And that's just reminding us that it's normal to have a wilderness time as a Christian. Yeah. It's normal to have deep sorrows as a Christian. And by singing those kinds of songs or in, you know, when, when a pastor or someone in the church is praying and leading the congregation in prayer to have times where, Lord, will you come? We, we're desperate. Please and just expressing that um it's 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 actually equipping people without them even realizing that, that i can bring my desperation to god yeah. and and the opposite really destructive thing happens if we don't so i just think the psalms are a wonderful corrector on that side but back to the calvin it's on every <laughs> you know every kind of emotion and um the other thing it, it teaches us too is for luther it's an anatomy uh, a little bible story and our songs should be theological. Our songs should teach us mm-hmm. about God's work. And yes, simple songs. There's simple psalms like PSALMS. But also, is the overall diet of what we sing as a church kind of teaching us the big themes of the faith, mm. leading us into a sermon that's doing that as well? And I'm not saying it has to be complicated, yeah. but kind of simple wonderful truths about who god is and just singing it together i the psalms lead us to do that so mm. I, I wanted to i wanted to bring back then in, in into the fold of the conversation this idea of the psalms pointing to christ and this is this is the second part of the book but i i, I don't think that this element is maybe as widely considered or thought about people see the psalms as i as i talked about maybe they take one psalm at a time or they just think about it in isolation i don't think there's too many people who approach the psalm saying i i'm i, I want to see how this points me to jesus today so if could you talk a little bit about how it is that the Psalms point to Jesus and then how Christians 
should maybe approach or think about looking for Christ-centered psalms? Yeah, well, Jesus said of the whole Old Testament, um, you know, on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, um, verse 44, he's, uh, this is after the road to Emmaus, but mm-hmm. he'd been talking on the road to Emmaus, and they've been talking about um, the, uh, him needing to die and rise again. And then in verse 44, he says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, like before my death, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms Mm -hmm. must be fulfilled. Mm. And so there's lots of stuff (laughs) in, and we could unpack. And I I would suggest the whole old Testament um, that are fulfilled ultimately in in Jesus, in his person and work. And in a, another passage, John 5, 39, let me just, um, Jesus says to the Jewish religious leaders who are opposing him, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Mm-hmm. And so what he's saying to these highfalutin PhD Bible <laughs> scholars of the day that, um, and he's talking about the scriptures, that's before the New Testament was written. He's talking about the Old Testament. And he says, you think that in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, you have eternal life. But the Old Testament bears witness about me. Like the general tenor, the whole Old Testament leads to me. Mm-hmm. So if you read the Old Testament and don't get to me, by implication, what Jesus is saying is you don't have eternal life. And I, I like I, I like to liken the Old Testament to kind of like a, or the outline of the Bible is kind of like a um, an hourglass. Hmm. You got the fat part of the hourglass at the top, the, the wide part, and that's the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And it kind of filters down to the skinny part of the hourglass. And the skinny part of the hourglass is what I call the focal point of redemptive history of the story of God saving a people for himself. And that skinny part of the hourglass, the focal point is the the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of God, the father, and then the gift of the Holy spirit at Pentecost. Those five things are that skinny point of the hourglass. And the entire old Testament kind of leads us into that 50 day period and then it flows out into now, now it applies to me, the New Testament church. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the, the scriptures themselves tell us that. And then um, what else what else am I going to say? Um, Paul in um, in Timothy. So um, Paul says in um, second timothy 3 16 all scripture and he's talking about the old testament again mm-hmm. is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of god may be complete equipped for every good work so the old testament should be practical yeah and if we experience the old testament as drudgery or impractical or just for people who like weird facts um <laughs> We actually need help to read it better because Jesus says it should lead us to him. And Paul says it's highly practical. 
And, and, and Jesus says, all these things about me will be fulfilled. And I, I won't read this, but Acts 28, at the very end of Acts 28, Paul's in prison in Rome. And um, his, the theme of his message, like the Jews came to him because they wanted to hear from, Paul was a highly trained Pharisee, right? Yeah. And highly trained Bible scholar who'd become a Christian. And they wanted to hear from that guy what Christianity is all about. And from morning to evening, like his sermon didn't end on time to get to Chick-fil-A, <laughs> you know, not even for supper. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chick-fil-A was closed. Does, does Chick-fil-A close? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Only um, on Sundays. <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> but Chick-fil-A was closed or, yeah, I guess you don't go to Chick-fil-A then on Sunday. Bad example. I'm in Canada. We don't <laughs> Chipotle. There you go. <laughs> uh, but they weren't they weren't worried about getting to chipotle because they're hearing this morning till evening message and the theme of the message is jesus and the kingdom of god and his text was the law of moses and the prophets the two-thirds of the old testament and then at the end of acts the very last word verse as paul is you know the gospel is going forth unhindered that's the last word of the book of Acts, unhindered and without hindrance, mm. which is beautiful. Like Paul's in prison, but the gospel is going forth unhindered. But it said, Paul, for two whole years, he taught them. And so what's his theme? Jesus in the kingdom of God mm. from the Old Testament. And how long did, how, how much content is there about Jesus in the kingdom of God in the Old Testament? Well, enough to fill two whole years. <laughs> Ching. Sure. And so all that kind of, um, you know, when the New Testament gives us those kinds of cues, we need to go to the Old Testament and learn how it leads to Jesus. And that's why that's why people go to school and study like tons. And like, that's a lot of my burden in this book. So mm. to help equip people to be able to do that on their own. And so that's Old Testament in general. Luke 24, 44 specifically names the psalm, so yeah. we can't wiggle out, but not that. <laughs> um, this filled with that. And and uh, so anyway, that's a lot of the burden. Was there another part of the question? I, I even forget your No, you're original. good. I was more just thinking, and specifically people who are approaching the psalms looking for Jesus. Is there, some, is there an encouragement that you could give people on maybe how to read the psalms with Jesus in mind? Okay, well, there's a number of different things we can say. And one of them, if you have a Bible with cross-references, yeah, um, you can kind of look and see, is this quoted in the New Testament? Mm -hmm. Because the New Testament is the answer key, right? Like It's the inspired, inerrant answer key that if the Old Testament is quoted, this is true. <laughs> sure. and, and so that's one way of doing it. How is this fulfilled in Christ? Well then, and then we can go back and and read it. And there's there's a book. There's a a book called the. This is more of a um, intermediate or advanced book, but mm. the commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament, mm. edited by um, D. A. Carson and Greg Beal, and that commentary and different authors um, write for different books of the New Testament. They're just going through the New Testament and saying whenever it quotes the Old Testament or alludes to it let's pay attention to what's going on here and it helps us. So I, that's just a great resource. Mm. Another thing we do though, is just pay attention to the big story, the big picture. Yeah. And you know, the Bible tells 
the story of God redeeming a people for himself, making a people who were helpless and um, to make them his own people, purchasing them out of slavery to sin. And that's the big picture story of the Bible. And it ultimately, the Old Testament ultimately leads us to Jesus. So we can see that the, the, the climax of the story is Jesus and the cross and resurrection, burial, uh, cross, burial, resurrection, pe- uh, ascension, Pentecost. That's the climax of the story, um, um, the focal point of the story. But whenever we're in the Old Testament, wherever, whenever we're in a psalm, we can say, okay, where are we on this whole timeline mm. if we understand the big picture? And I understand the big picture, so here's where we are, and here's where the story is going. Mm. And so what my story here it, um, helps lead me to the ultimate focal point of the story. So that, that's the second thing. The first thing is read the answer key, yeah. read the New Testament. The second thing is um, understand the big picture. Um, and then... It's it's a technical term, but typology is um, you know a big word. But it, it's basically saying that there's a shadow in the Old Testament, and the substance is is in Jesus. It points mm. us to Jesus. There. Or another way of saying it is um, the life of let's just say David reminds me in some small way of the greater David to come, Jesus. Yeah. But when David's going through something in the Psalms, let's say Psalm twenty-two. Um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Jesus quotes that from the cross. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so we're meant to read Psalm 22 and be led to um, the suffering. The suffering of David is meant to lead us to the suffering of Jesus. And in the book, I, I, I walk through a, a number of categories to have in my in my mind yeah. as we're reading the Old Testament. Like, does this lead me to Jesus? Does this lead me to Jesus? Does this lead me to Jesus? Not every category is going to work for every text, but it's it's things to have in mind so that um, we kind of you know you go to the doctor and you, they sit you down and they take that rubber thing <laughs> and they and you kick. Yeah. Well, get that reflex to be led to Christ. Mm. Um, yeah. Robert Murray Machine said, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Mm. And, you know, as a Christian, the gospel is not like the ABCs of Christianity. And then I move beyond that. <laughs> the gospel is the everyday delighting in yeah. the sun around which I orbit. And um, I need the gospel every moment of every day. And so, and the Old Testament, since it bears witness about Jesus and the book of Psalms in particular, so anyway, no, that's, um, uh, I love that idea of the reflex, instilling a reflex or the everything you read to, to, to look to Jesus, to look to Jesus. I love that idea. And with the psalm specifically, what I wanted to mention too, and we started to talk about it a little bit, but I just wanted to to reiterate it, is that if 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 we believe, which we do, that Jesus was fully God and fully human— then what we mm. can understand is when we look at the Psalms, if if we as we talked about earlier, and we see this wide array of human emotion just spewing out, just just evident, evident, then we can feel that that Jesus felt these things too. And, and as you just talked wow. about with Psalm twenty two, and, and and that's not the only case, right? Is we see we can see the truth from these Psalms of lament or desperation, and we can see those lived out in Jesus weeping in the Garden 
of Gethsemane on the cross, we can see these these psalms of praise, these exaltations, and we see the way that Jesus talks about the Father. And so it's just it's it's a great understanding of yes, it's a great um, um, look at at the full spectrum of human emotion, but that is still true of Jesus too. Absolutely, yeah. The, the one author I read. Um, James Watts, it's a, it's an academic mm-hmm. monograph, but kind of the takeaway from it and the gist or the million dollar idea that he has is, is the stories in the old Testament, the Hebrew narrative that they're true. They really happened. I, I would affirm, yeah. but they're, they're written, they're selective history, right? They're, they're, they're intentionally written, well-written to lead us to, and who God is yeah. and what he's doing in his work. And the stories, um, they don't give us a lot of insight into the inner person. Yeah. But Hebrew poetry does. Mm. So James Watts says that that's why, you know, you're reading along in, in Exodus and you the Exodus from Egypt happens. And then in Exodus 15, you've got the song of the sea where Moses, you know, leads the people in this song. Yeah. And that's a, that's giving an insight into the inner life. This is what's going on in in the interior, um, in the story that just happened, and um, and we could go Jonah too, the Psalm of Jonah. Sure. You know, he's in the belly of the fish, and we've got this Psalm interspersed in the book. The other three chapters are story and the narrative, mm-hmm. and you know, Song of Hannah and First Samuel two. You've got the account, and then it gives a peek into it in her interior life. Well, how much more of the Book of Psalms? There's a hundred and fifty <laughs> of them. Yeah. And 73 of them are by David, and uh, I think it's about 13 of them are what we call historical psalms, where the the title, the superscription at the beginning tells us some context from David's life yeah. in which this was like Psalm 51 and his repentance after his adultery with Bathsheba. And if we go back in 1 Samuel 11 and 12, we read the story of what happened, and then if we go to Psalm 51, we read the interior life. We we mm. feel the interior life of repentant David. Yeah. And what a gift is that to the Christian who's been like not just oops, I sinned, but this is a this is a huge sin. Mm. Can I even be forgiven? Well, we have Psalm 51 modeling David's guilty of adultery and murder. And he bears the consequences of that in his earthly life. But before the Lord, he's he's forgiven, he's repentant and forgiven. And anyway, it's just a yeah. wonderful, yeah. I know, I, I I completely agree. I wanted to start to wrap up our conversation by talking about, at the very, very end of your book, you give this wonderful exhortation uh, that about how there is always a treasure to find in the Psalms, and, and really the whole Bible, but specifically because the book is called treasuring the Psalms. That's what we were focused on. So what advice would you give then to our listeners right now as to how we should maybe approach that, that deep well, that scripture? Yeah. Well, first thing I would say is be a part of a good Bible preaching church and just be, be in a small group, um, be worshiping in community. Mm. That's the first thing I would say. And then you're, you're hearing the word on Sunday you're discussing the word at your small group and with other people in accountability, seeing them live it out. So that's the first matter of importance, but personal devotion. So just that discipline of 
of spending a little bit of time every day with my kids, I call it your half hour where you spend time reading God's word and then praying. And I, I call it the half hour so you don't get overwhelmed by it. Just And so you don't rush. Mm. Just dwell in God's word and spend time in prayer. And there's going to be seasons where that feels dry. And, and that's where teachers come in, right? Uh, reading a book um, that helps equip you to study the Bible or taking a class at church or listening to a podcast that helps yeah. equip you to study the Bible, kind of redeeming the time. You're on a commute, listen to doable discipleship there or you something, <laughs> you know, but, um, but those are, those are some of the things, but, um, and ask your pastors, get help so that you can, so that you can dig in the treasure that is God's word for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, don't, don't get lazy in your Christian life. Just, just, there's a lot of fruit that's born by that little, little bits that I just mentioned. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's taking those steps, making it a part of your daily life, spending time in the Bible, having prayer, spending time with other believers, being a part of church, and just incorporating this truth, this this life-giving word into all these different elements, aspects of your life. And then it just becomes becomes a normal part of, of, of who you are because that's what it is. It is God speaking to you who he created and it's telling you who you are who he is and how much he loves you and what he and and the and the purpose and role and and future that he has for you and when we take that to heart you're going to want more of that every day because every day we, we we come against things that are telling us lies that are telling us untruths about who we are about who god is and instead we have we have, as you said, this treasure chest that we can just go back to every day that keep combing. It's never empty. There's always something beautiful and rich in it that is going to fill you. And it, and, and it just breathes life into who you are. And the Holy Spirit that's living in you cries out and is just overjoyed every time. It is met more with the, with, with the word as, uh, as the different parts of, of the triune God are coming together and you, it's just a beautiful thing to be able to keep talking as we can just keep going on and on talking about it. <laughs> it. It is wonderful, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that also that every kind of time I spend time reading the word in, in, in the morning is going to be this mountaintop experience. In yeah. fact, so the time it's going to be pathetically normal. <laughs> and a lot of times it's going to feel like I'm doing this, um, but I'm not feeling it. Yeah. But God's our 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 spiritual pulse isn't gauged by what we feel; it's by faith. We we take we take these truths by faith, and it's not by what we feel; it's by what Christ has done for us. Mm. And when we when we just step out, like I was saying to someone yesterday, they they mentioned they're really struggling whether God's God exists. Yeah, and I was like, I'm so glad you're talking to me. Like just the fact that you're doing that and not hiding it means that you want to wrestle with this. Yeah talked about going to your pastor and talking about it. I talked about being a part of a church. I talked about, um, are, are you reading the Bible on your own? And they, no, I stopped doing that. I said, well, why don't you start doing that again? And why don't you begin by saying, God, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, I want to know you. Will you reveal yourself to me? And that's just a really way of honoring God and really being honest with yourself that I really want to seek for truth. Yeah. And just spending a little bit of time doing that, the word of God is powerful. It's living and active, right? And 
it's it's God's it's God's um, breathed word. God breathed word to us. It's not just any other book. Yeah. And so, just asking God to help us understand, help us to feel the truth of this stuff. It's just so. Um, yeah. So I, I just want to, I, I want to emphasize that it's, and there's going to be times where I just don't understand this or I don't understand that. That's why we got pastors, isn't it? <laughs> Jason here. Yeah, there we go. Um, <laughs> we have books that that can help us, that's you know? A, that's exactly, so. that's exactly right. Well, your new book is out now. It's called Treasuring the Psalms. Dr. Ian Valancourt, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. An honor to be here, Jason. Thanks. Psalm 119, 97 says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. And then verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And 111, Your laws are my treasure. They are my heart's delight. I am determined to keep your decrees to the very end. As we look at some doable steps out of today's episode, I encourage you to open up the book of Psalms. I know some people who like to read a psalm every day, and maybe that's a practice that would interest you. And remember, to ask Jesus how he is evident through what you're reading. As you open up your Bible and you, and you start to read, before you start, say, Jesus, I want... I'm looking for you. Show me you through what I'm reading today. When you read a psalm of lament, think about Jesus. When you read a psalm of exaltation, think about Jesus. I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Ian Valancourt. My name is Jason Whelan, and this has been a Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast. We'll be back with you again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.